Warning! The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. See, I knew this would happen. Even at midday, I knew this would happen. Oh, come on. Give them a break. They're just having fun. I never said they weren't having fun. I'm just saying I'm glad YouTube wasn't around when we were younger to capture moments like this. I mean, you mix the rolling waves of the Hudson and East Rivers with an open bar and throw in the greatest hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. What did you think you were going to get? Exactly what I'm getting now! A lot of bad dancing and a lot of bad memories flooding back. Come on, let's show them how it's done. You weren't alive when this song came out. Doesn't mean I don't know how to get down. Hold on, I'm not quite on your level. Okay, let's go. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the mega musical show, Mamma Mia. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone, and Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Well, here we go again. My, my, how can we resist this? The time has finally come for us to indulge our guilty sweet tooth and discuss the blockbuster show, Mamma Mia. This long-running show gained a huge following on both the screen and stage. That has led to many offspring productions and a few regrettable karaoke moments. But before we reminisce about those, let's first set up the groundwork of the show. Mamma Mia is based on the songs of ABBA, a Swedish pop dance group active from 1972 to 1982 and one of the most popular international pop groups of all time, topping the charts again and again in Europe. North and South America, and Australia. Following the premiere of the musical in London in 1999, ABBA gold-topped the charts in the United Kingdom again. This musical was the brainchild of producer Judy Kramer. She met songwriters Bjorn Uveus and Benny Anderson in 1983 when they were working with Tim Rice on chess. It was the song, The Winner Takes It All, that suggested to her the theatrical potential of their pop songs. The songwriters were not enthusiastic, but they were not completely opposed to the idea. In 1997, Kramer's commissioned Katherine Johnson to write the book for the musical. 
1998, Phyllida Lloyd became the director of the show. Various reviewers have noted a similarity in the plot between Mamma Mia and the 1968 film Bonacera, Miss Campbell, previously adapted as the 1979 musical Carmelina, which is about a young woman who does not know which of three men is, her, is the father of her daughter, who is now a young woman. Some have even claimed that Mamma Mia is officially based on the 1968 film. Critic John Simon speculated that Mamma Mia is set in Greece and not Italy, which might have fit in better with the musical's title, in order to make the connection to the film less obvious. However, Johnson has denied being inspired by Buena Sera, Mrs. Campbell. The musical opened in the West End at the Prince Edward Theater on April 6, 1999, and transferred to the Prince of Wales Theater on June 9, 2004, where it played until September 2012, when it moved to the Novello Theater. Prior to the musical's Broadway engagement, it opened in Toronto at the Royal Alexandra Theater in May of 2000, where it played for five years. Its U.S. debut was in San Francisco, California at the Orpheum Theater from November 17, 2000 to February 17, 2001. Moving next to Los Angeles, California at the Schubert Theater from February 26th to May 12th of 2001, and finally to Chicago, Illinois, at the Cadillac Palace Theater from May 13th to August 12th of 2001. This is probably the perfect time to introduce our design team. Mm-hmm. The book is by Katherine Johnson, music and lyrics and orchestrations by Bjorn Uveas and Benny Anderson, additional material by Martin Koch, Directed by Phyllida Lloyd. Choreographed by Anthony Van Last. Lighting by Howard Harrison. Sound by Andrew Bruce and Bobby Aitken. Wigs by Paul Huntley. Set and costumes by Mark Thompson. The show finally arrived on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theater on October 18, 2001. It would play there until October 19th, 2013, when it would close to transfer down the street to the Broadhurst Theater. It would reopen on November 2nd, 2013. There it would play for nearly two more years, finally ending its Broadway run after 12 years and 5,758 performances on September 12th, 2015. It is currently the ninth longest running Broadway show. Many, many productions have since been mounted around the world, including in Manila, London, China, Australia, Korea, Poland, Argentina, Finland, and a Las Vegas residency at the Mandalay Bay. That season, Mamma Mia would be nominated for five Tony Awards. So, let's set sail to the Magic Greek Isles and our story.
curtain rises, the orchestra starts playing the overture, which is a montage of instrumental versions of some ABBA hit songs. On the fictional Greek island of Kalukeri, 20-year-old Sophie is preparing to marry her fiancé, Skye. She wants her father to walk her down the aisle, but doesn't know who he is. Sophie discovers her mother's old diary and finds entries which describe intimate dates with three men. Sam Carmichael, Bill Austin, and Harry Bright. Sophie believes that one of these men is her father, and three months before her nuptials, sends an invitation to her wedding, writing in her mother's name, Donna, without letting the unsuspecting mother know. All three men accept. Donna begins receiving guests at her taverna. The first to arrive are her long-lost best friends, Tanya, a rich woman who has been married and divorced three times, and Rosie, an unmarried, carefree woman. The trio used to comprise a girl group called Donna and the Dynamos. The three women catch up and talk about their lives. Donna laments about the struggles of running a taverna, single-handedly with little assistance, and the heavy bills she faces. Later that day, Sophie's three possible fathers arrive. Sam, an American architect, Harry, a British banker, and Bill, originally an Australian writer and adventurer and currently American in New York and on tour. Sophie convinces them not to tell Donna that she invited them. Donna is surprised to see her three ex-lovers and leaves in tears. Donna, crying, explains to Tanya and Rosie the situation, and they cheer her up. Tanya and Rosie try to convince Donna that she can still be the girl she once was. Sophie had hoped she would know her father the moment she saw him, but is now only confused. She tries to tell her fiancé, Skye, how she feels without confessing what she has done. Skye tells her he will be the only man she ever needs, right before his buddies ambush him and take him to their bachelor party. At Sophie's hen party, Donna and the Dynamos don their old costumes and perform a song, Super Trooper. Sam, Bill, and Harry accidentally walk in on the party, and the guests persuade them to stay. Sophie first pulls Sam out of the room to talk to him. After he asks why he is there, she is overcome with guilt and goes to talk to Harry instead. But Harry asks if Sophie's father is at the party, and she tells him the whole truth. Lastly, she draws Bill aside to talk to him. She learns that Bill has an aunt, Sophia, who left all her money to Donna's family. Bill learns that Donna built the Tavina with money she inherited from a friend she lived with when Sophie was a baby. That friend was Bill's aunt. They both think this means he is her father. Sophie asks Bill to walk her down the aisle, but Bill wants to discuss it first with Donna. This has been her secret, after all. But no one knows yet that even Donna doesn't know who the father is, because she slept with the three men in such swift succession. Sophie insists they mustn't tell Donna anything, and finally... Bill agrees. Afterward, everyone crashes the hen party, including the guys from the stag party. During the party, Sam pulls Sophie aside and tells her he has figured out why she has invited him. He knows that he is 
her father and promises to walk her down the aisle the next day. Then, Harry approaches Sophie, apologizing for being so slow on the uptake. He is also convinced that he is, that she is his daughter and promises to walk her down the aisle. Sophie leaves the party, hopelessly confused, and doesn't want to turn any of them down. Act 2 starts with Sophie upset, and Donna assumes that Sophie wants to cancel the wedding and offers to handle all the details. Sophie is offended and vows that her children won't grow up not knowing who their father is. As Sophie storms out of the room, Sam enters and tries to tell Donna that Sophie may not be all she seems. But Donna won't listen. She hates Sam. At the end of their affair, she said she never wanted to see him again. But it seems that Sam was the man Donna cared the most about. And both of them wish they could go back to the start. At the beach, Harry asked Tanya what the father of the bride ought to be doing for Sophie's wedding. Tanya explains that for her part, her father gave her his advice and then paid. Pepper, one of the guys who works for Donna's Taverna, makes advances to Tanya, but she rebuffs him. Skye finds out what Sophie has done inviting Sam, Harry, and Bill to the wedding. He accuses her of wanting a big white wedding only so that she can find out who her father is. He is very hurt that she kept this plan a secret from him. He storms off just as Sam walks in. Sam tries to give Sophie some fatherly advice by describing his failed marriage, but Sophie isn't consoled. Harry offers to Donna to pay for the wedding, and they reminisce about their fling. Sophie arrives, and Donna helps her get dressed. She can't believe her daughter is going to be a bride. Donna admits that her own mother disowned her when she learned that she was pregnant. They reconcile, and Sophie asks her mother if she will walk her down the aisle. Sam arrives and tries to speak to Donna again, but she doesn't want to see him and asks him to leave. He refuses, and a bitter confrontation ensues. Donna tells Sam that he broke her heart, presumably when she found out he was engaged. It emerges that the two still love each other dearly, albeit against Donna's better judgment. Rosie is making final preparations in the taverna when Bill arrives. He is upset because he has received a note that Donna will be walking Sophie down the aisle. Bill reaffirms his commitment to the single life, but Rosie has become attracted to him and urges him to reconsider. They are about to have sex in the taverna, but the guests arrive, leaving Rosie quite stunned. The wedding begins with Donna walking Sophie down the aisle. Before the priest has a chance to begin the ceremonies, Donna acknowledges to everyone that Sophie's father is present. Sophie tells her mother that she knows about her father. Donna realizes that Sophie invited them to the wedding for that very reason. The issue of Sophie's parentage is left unsettled, as none of them have any idea whether they are actually her father. Everyone involved agrees that it doesn't matter which of them is her biological parent. As Sophie loves all three, and they are all happy to be one-third of a father and to be a part of her life at last. Finally, Harry, who has made frequent references to his other half throughout the show, is revealed to be in a committed gay relationship. Suddenly, Sophie calls a halt to the proceedings. 
she isn't ready to get married, and Skye agrees with her about not getting married. Sam seizes his chance and proposes to Donna in order to prevent the wedding preparations from going to waste. He explains that he loved her, even when he left to get married. It is revealed that he called off the wedding and came back to the island, only to be told that Donna was going out with another man, Bill. He went back, married his fiancée, and had children, but he got divorced. Surprisingly, Donna accepts. In the end, Sam and Donna are married. And at the end of the night, Sophie and Skye depart on a round-the-world tour. After their final bows to the audience, the ensemble performs a reprise of Mamma Mia!, a reprise of Dancing Queen follows during which Donna, Tanya, and Rosie are revealed wearing brightly colored ABBA-inspired costumes. The cast ends the finale with Waterloo, during which Sam, Bill, and Harry join the rest of the cast on stage in brightly colored costumes that match the leading ladies. The Dynamos and the Dads often invite the audience to clap, dance, and sing along during the finale. The end. story of Mamma Mia. We're going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Let's discuss the parts of the show we like. And that we didn't like. And all that jazz. Um, first of all, it's the music of ABBA. So you can't help but move and groove to it and bust a move and boogie woogie. Boogie woogie woogie. Every time I say boogie woogie, all I can think is the kinky boots, the movie. I can boogie. Oh, yes, sir. Boogie, woogie. I can boogie. But that's another show. Um, Yeah, it's the music of ABBA. Like, what's not to love? If you say you don't like ABBA, you are a filthy, dirty liar. I'm just saying that now. Now, I'm not saying that, like, I hear certain ABBA songs come on, and I'm like, oh, God. Because I've run the show, and I'm like, okay, I can, I've heard enough of this to last me a while. But that being said, you just can't help it when you hear, like, Dancing Queen or Mama Mia or something come on, you're like, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know the words. <clears throat> I know Super Trooper and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, the first time I heard this album, I really liked the story. I remember being a youngin, and I, I think I saw this at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but I got the album for Christmas, and I would just listen, and I was like, I love this. This is amazing. And this is before I knew who ABBA like truly was. I knew of ABBA. You know, I knew they were a Swedish pop group, but I didn't know, you know, what ABBA was all together. So I remember listening to this album like nonstop. And I was like, I love this music. There's such a good story. Yeah. So. I mean, I will say the one thing that <clears throat> stuck with me the most when it came to Mamma Mia was their poster. Like their stage poster um, <clears throat> of the girl with. Oh, the wedding dress. And she's like laughing. Yes. And it was like that, like. Romantic drawing, that was the first thing that made me go, Mamma Mia. And you saw it on the back of every bus? Every bus, every bus everywhere. Going on a tour. <laughs> You're the worst. Sorry, that's for an outtake <coughs> bit, but um, I thought it was clever and fun and a good time, especially for the audiences. Especially for the audiences. I can't tell you how many people, like, this was their party show. And I was like, all right. 
I mean... Live your best life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's when I first noticed that I was kind of being a theater snob when like people were like, I really want to see Mama Mia. And I was like, really? You want to see Mama Mia? Mama Mia? Mia? Like, all right. I mean, you see it once <laughs> and that's good. Like, yeah. But then I realized that people were just having a really good time. And I was like, you know, theater doesn't always have to be... Moving and life-changing. Sometimes it could just be fun and, and it's silly and... <clears throat> We know how the story's gonna end, and it's just damn it, I just time. want a good song. I just want to be a dancing queen, you know, and I just want boys and flippers to come in and don't go chasing your emotions. Right? Sometimes you just need some ham and cheese fun. Yeah. Um, let's break it down even further. <clears throat> so the set. Gorgeous colors on this set. Blues and whites. I mean, that's very Mediterranean, Phil, obviously. It's in Greece. Right, definitely. We love a good Greek aisle. Um, the one thing that really stood out, now look, it's been a hot minute since we saw this show. But one thing I've always remembered, I didn't even have to go back and look at the pictures, I just immediately remembered, there was a path down the middle of the stage. Do you remember this? Yep. The windy path. And I felt like all the action was kind of centered around this path. A lot of things on either side of it <clears throat> would change. They bring, they rotate the back and they bring in the villas and stuff. This path would always stay there. And I really appreciate that because to me it like symbolized the path of life or the path we're on and the fact that um, Sophie starts the show on the path and she ends the show on the path with Sky. And I was like, that's, mm-hmm. that's nice. You know, I thought that was cool. You know. I mean... <clears throat> the set was really beautiful, but my favorite part really was the costumes. Oh my god, okay. They are so iconic. You, I mean, come on, okay. There, there are shows that you think of, and, and when you think of them, you go immediately to the costumes, and this has to be one of them, because, hello, like spandex, shiny sparkles, like... It's disco party time. Right, like we're wearing like coverall lycra suits with fun wiggly bits on it. Well, it, it, okay, so first of all, the the majority of the basic costume is very islandy, you know? Beach mm-hmm. clothes for days, swimsuits, and, you know, if they had clothes on, because there was a lot of topless men wandering around the stage, which now that I'm more seasoned as a theater person... I, it makes me wonder as we sit here on this cold and dreary day. You got to think about how these guys had to keep up a tan. Mm-hmm. You know, because you couldn't, obviously you couldn't walk on and be like, well, it is January and minus 10 outside. So I'm sorry I couldn't lay out in tan. Like, you know, it's one of those things that you had to start taking into account because they had to look like they were tanned. Yeah, they were at, they always like sit in the beach or work out and whatnot in the sun. <clears throat> but yeah, so they obviously had the beach clothes and the swimsuits but then yeah you did you had these iconic scuba suits for the boys you had the the colorful costumes for the dawn and the dynamos um you know with all the feathers and the sparkles and everything and the thing about these dawn and the dynamo (laughs) costumes is like we mentioned in the story they're um they're replicas or inspired by abba Mm mm-hmm you know, and so you got to think this is disco, and um, I, I know that they do. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. When they do Super Trooper, they're in these silver and 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 rhinestone outfits, and then when they do the finale, that's where they're in these colorful 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in these colorful with beads and everything. I mean, it's it's fabulous. And they're in these giant platform shoes. You're just having a good time. And I'm and I'm trying to think of another show where you have something like that. I'm kind of thinking of Priscilla. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, th- this is iconic. And I feel like audience members are having like a flashback to the ruffles and the high collars and everything of that. You know, and they're like, yeah, I remember all this. And it's just fun. I think maybe back then or even in the 80s, you were like, I probably shouldn't admit that I liked um that I liked ABBA but now it's like no no I, I ABBA love it was that. a good time yeah it made me feel good um moving on to the lights it had a true concert <laughs> feel to it you know lots of color everywhere you know during these musical numbers dancing queen um gimme gimme even yeah. though it was at night there were still lots of color uh the finale obviously it felt very sunny on stage, you know? Yeah, like at all times. Like it was just bright and... And, and I mean, not necessarily like everyone is well lit. No, but just like between the color palette and... Yes, it just felt very, overall very bright, which of course we needed it. I loved it. Um, I remember during the dream sequence, which mainly happened um, at the top of Act 2. So you had the Entre Act... And then it went to the dream sequence, <clears throat> mm-hmm. if you remember. So it started dream se- uh, on track into the dream sequence. Uh, and she wakes up and sings under attack. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of like blues and everything. And the bed is spinning in that. I almost felt like she was underwater, which was really, <clears throat> really cool. And I really appreciated that. Um, and just creative and, and a very concert feel. You know, I yeah. like that. It... it I mean, well, there was a... find the right words of what I'm trying to say. I mean, really, honestly, the easiest thing that I can sum it up to is there's a reason why the show played for so long. Um, and it was just because it was a good time. Yeah. Um, and that leads us to direction. And I think it's a clever adaption of the song and story relationship. <clears throat> and for me, I didn't know that maybe the story was closely, like, really closely related to a film. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's my ignorance. But for me, I was just like, what a clever story. Oh, look, we have these clever songs. I just thought the whole thing was clever. And to be able to, to marry the music and the story that way, fabulous. Because jukebox musicals tend to hit or miss. And this one was knocking it out of the park. Um, it was just a fun reimagining of an iconic group's music. I think we mentioned this before. Uh, we started recording. I said, isn't it funny that Mamma Mia, an Italian phrase, set in the Greek Isles by a Swedish pop group in English? Yeah. Like, none of what you <clears throat> initially think you're going to get, like, none of that lines up. And I think that's brilliant, though. <clears throat> it, when you hear, it's the music of Abba, this is not the story you thought you were going to get, which mm-hmm. is fabulous. Yeah, I mean, it really is just like a melting pot of ideas that come together in some glittery spandex mumbo jumbo that just gives and you a good time. And everything. Yeah. yeah, just gives you a good time. There's two great storylines too. I love this that run parallel up until the end, with slight intertwining by the minor characters that help ultimately connect the two storylines, and being able to keep the mother and daughter's plots separate while stirring in all those around them was really smart. Uh, and a difficult choice, you know. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it 
you know, you've got these the mom and her struggles and everything, and and her friends, her t- her her Two best, best friends, friends, Rosie and Tanya, and then you got <clears throat> Sophie and kind of meddling with the dads, but also her two best friends, and. They don't start to mix until the end of Act 1. And then Act 2 is really when every, the worlds really start to mix. I mean, you've got... Um, <clears throat> what's the song that Tanya sings? Well, I can dance with you, honey. If you think it's funny, does your mother know that you're out? You know, mm-hmm. that's not the first time that Sophie and um, Donna's worlds really mix those those two age groups if you will and then of course we've the other one i think of that's really iconic is if you change your mind mm-hmm. on the first date i mean i that's one of my favorite scenes <laughs> is watching rosie pull the hilarious comedic seduction on um harry right mm-hmm. uh, no bill 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 because bill. harry is gay <clears throat> yes but bill's the adventurer <clears throat> and they're both like carefree whatever and it's just hilarious and i think being able to start melding those two worlds, and it's not until those two worlds come together that the things in Sophie and Donna's life really start to resolve. Yeah. You, you know, everything finally works out around them by the time the wedding happens, so that's the perfect moment for everything for them to resolve. And that's when we see Sophie go, wait, 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 I can't do this. And Donna and... and um, Sam. Sam, get married. Thank you. I wanted to say Steve, and I knew that wasn't right. So I think that's just clever direction and interpretation and everything. So, you know, as we wrap up, we'd be remiss if we didn't say music, talk about the music. But there's not a lot to talk about because we've already covered it, which is, it's fun. Yeah, it's It's memorable. And who doesn't want to dance? Exactly. I mean, the way the the overture starts, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and you're just like, okay, ma-na-na-na, and you're like, oh, wait, I know this. And then it's just the different songs. You can just see the people bobbing their head around and they're like, yeah. You can't see it, but we're really badly dancing I mean, yeah, right now. You, you just, you can't help it. And it's hit after hit after hit and everyone knows the words and you can't wait for the next song to come on because you're like, I know this, I know. I, the first time I listened to the album, I was like, I can't believe how many of these songs I actually knew. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I it was fun. And speaking of fun, the last thing we should mention is choreography. Again, it was fun. It was memorable. You wanted to dance with them. I knew the choreography to Dancing Queen. You know, right hand, left hand, up and a right and a flow. Ooh, <laughs> left hand girl. Watch that girl doing the dancing queen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew this choreography. Right? Well, and it's just, it's fun. It wasn't like crazy dancing that you're like watching in awe, but it was good. I mean, to be fair, the, the gimme gimme scene, yes. the, the hen party and everything, that was like in awe where they're lifting people and, you know. Yes, and- but there was a lot of dancing that was very much like, hey, come up and join us. And we're like, We'll do it in our seats. Yeah, the mega mix at the end was like, Waterloo, absolutely, and Mamma Mia, oh my God, you know. And I was just like, this is awful dancing. I'm embarrassed. No one take video of this, but at the same time, I'm living my best life. I do want to mention one thing at this point. Sidebar from the Broadway production. The show that I worked on out in Salt Lake at Pioneer, one of the coolest dancing moments that I've seen that I've gotten to work with when they did 
don't go chasing your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a stag party. All of the guys were in flippers. So they were in these swim, these, these bodysuits, and then they were in these flippers. And they basically did like this tap dance number in full-on flippers. Which I thought was freaking amazing. It was so entertaining. That's awesome. And these guys had so much fun. So I'm thinking of like, this is what like the, the musical has become in this choreography. It doesn't have to be necessarily like these big wow, huge dance numbers. But people are getting creative in what they're doing. And yeah, that's, I think that's worth noting that, that, that that's happened. So. The show has had several notable performers, including Lisa Bresca, mm-hmm. Beth Lavelle, Jen Nettles, Erica Henningsen, Corbin Blue, and David McDonald. Let's now talk about the impact this show has had on theater and its history. So theatrical impact. It was a huge success. Well, not just that. It was a huge, hugely successful jukebox musical. Yes, 100%. Um, If not one of the most... Well, if not the most successful jukebox musical, I, I, you know, now that I, now that we're recording and I just said that, I want to go back and look because I feel like that's probably the the case. It might be the most successful jukebox musical in Broadway history. Mm-hmm. Um, it brought to the stage the supergroup ABBA, and I think that is noteworthy because I feel like ABBA is, on its own, just such a performance. I mean, I think it's you know, you look at their costumes and everything. That is a performance. So. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they created a sub-disco genre that mm-hmm. has lasted longer than traditional disco. Yes. Yes. You know, who would have thought a group out of Sweden? Hey. Um, it really brought the jukebox musical into the 21st century. And I know that kind of sounds weird. But as I was nosing around, mm-hmm. y- you know, you look at jukebox musicals of the 90s. And then you look at jukebox musicals in the 2000s. And if you think about the jukebox musicals that exist now, Mamma Mia kind of s- set that bar for a mega musical and whatnot, you know? I, I'm i not going to lie. I can't even think of a 90s jukebox musical. I have a hard time as well. And I'm sure the listeners right now are screaming at us. Look, we're learning just as fast as we can. And we're hopefully learning with you. But, you know, musical theater saw a huge ramp up and change and everything in the mid to late night oh like 1992 93 94 that's when it really started ramping up and changing and the whole theater district went through a whole whole makeover in that as Times square got redeveloped and everything Mm -hmm. and then it went through another shift after 9 11 right but the mega musical came along right around the turn of the century and the mega musical in the form of a jukebox, I feel like Mamma Mia started that with its size and everything, the grandeur of it, you know, the spectacle. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like. As for societal impact, this created a cult classic. Oh, yes. And I mean, a, a cult classic. There is a following. Um, I feel like this is a show that, that, that is done everywhere and anywhere, but particularly... I don't know what it is about England. To our English <laughs> listeners out there, 
our friends in the UK, you gotta throw us a bone here. Um, look, this show has been developed. It's developed a huge following that still exists now. I mean, it still runs in the West End. It has immersive experiences, you know, out there. And that's one thing I remember looking on TikTok. There are these immersive experiences you can pay. It's like a dinner theater kind of thing you pay. Mm-hmm. And the, you're like in the show and the show's being performed around you. And these exist in England. And I'm like, I gotta know. I don't understand. Why? Like, well, you know, why Why this show, you know? So I want to know what it is about the show that, that... And I've seen these other TikToks about, like, people will play ABBA and their parents will just, like, lose their mind. And I'm like, this is incredible, you know? So I want to know. This is amazing. I love it. Um, and it's almost guaranteed to be a cash cow for any regional community theater mm-hmm. like, for their season. So you see a lot of theaters, they'll put that, like, at the end of their season... And it'll be like a four-week stint. And I'm like, yep, we're doing Mamma Mia. And it's guaranteed to like sell out because everyone loves Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. This show introduced the music of ABBA to a younger generation while also giving an older audience the music of their younger days, mm-hmm. which was cool. You know, I'm not saying they brought a whole other generation to the no, theater. No, but like it, it definitely has brought Dancing Queen to everyone. Yes, everyone and- is a Dancing Queen now. Yep. You know, but the thing, what I find funny is a lot of younger people had heard of this music and didn't necessarily know, like, where it came from. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, seeing this production or whatever, and then understanding, like, oh, maybe they went back and was like, oh, okay, ABBA, oh, okay, that's where this is from, you know. Cause, well, yeah, I, I'm sure they'd heard Dancing Queen before in some form, a remix of some sort, or in some movie or, or some TV show. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, actually, where it came from, and with the advent of YouTube and whatnot, being able to see those old music videos or performances, kind of go, yeah, this is where your parents, this is what your parents were freaking out about. Well, and what I find really interesting, um, back when I was teaching cosmetology school, you know, people would find out that I do theater and I do hair and makeup for theater, and they're like, oh, let's talk about that. And so one of the questions I always get asked is, oh, what's your favorite musical? And, you know, I tell them I have a hard time picking a favorite and blah, blah, blah. And then I always ask them what their favorite is. And like seven out of ten times, it's Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia. The, the I love the movie Mamma Mia. And I'm like, okay, so this still. And we're talking, these are like 18-year-olds and you know, in the year 2021. Yep. Like, yep. I just, it surprised me that, you know, 20 years later, people, like, people are still loving Mamma Mia. Yep. It's, it's, I, I dare say it's timeless, but, and that's the vessel we have to use to get people to come see more and more theater. I'm like, great, let's, it's a good vessel. Let's open it. So is the show still relevant? I think it's perfect for regional and community theater. However, and again, this is my opinion, I think it's time on Broadway, at least for now, has passed. The show is meant to just entertain or to bring joy to audiences, and it's not meant to inspire a deep artistic meaning or make audiences really think or challenge their beliefs. It's an escape show. Mm-hmm. And although we need shows like that now, I think there are better vessels that exist currently or are on their way that can provide that. This show is just more suited for the smaller regional venues, in my opinion. That's not to say it can't make a return to the Great White Way, White Way one day. It's just I don't right feel now. It's right. Nah, yeah. no, we're not. I, I don't need to, Mama Mia. Here we go again. Right now, just right now.
as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. Okay, so we had the good fortune of seeing this show, oh lordy, back in 2010 and 2011. We saw it twice. Did we? We did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also saw it in Salt Lake City in 2004. Yeah, 2004. And I remember seeing the show at the Capitol Theater in Salt Lake City. I remember being really excited about seeing this thing. Uh, it might have been actually 2003 now that I think about it. But I remember seeing, like, super excited because I remember, again, I remember getting this album for Christmas. And listening to it. I remember listening to the soundtrack like nonstop downstairs in our office where the PC was playing Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. Woot, shout out RCT3 crew. <laughs> and I would have this album on, like playing in the background, and I'd be playing Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. In fact, I remember that you could add your own music to play at your rides. Like, you know, you could have music for the, each individual ride. And I remember, like, using the soundtrack to play for my rides. <laughs> That's how much I like the soundtrack. Get it, Abba. Anyway, so I love the show. So when the show came to Salt Lake, my mom got tickets. And I just, I love the show. I was like, this is amazing. This is epic. And then, of course, the, the Mega Mix at the end. I was like, oh, my gosh. This wasn't on the album. Wow. And I was like 13, 14 at the time. So I was like, yeah, living it. <laughs> see, I never had any desire to see this show other than going, well, Mama Mia's been playing for such a long time, I feel obligated to see it. Yeah. Which was silly of me because, really, I was just being a pretentious boob. Because yeah. this really is a fun time. It and is. not all theater needs to be moving in a huge, powerful way. Sometimes the most powerful way you can be moved is to be completely engaged in the story. Yes. Um, so... I only remember particularly, and I can only find the details about, I know we saw the show twice. I know we saw the show twice, but I can only find in my journal entries once. So, you know, that's on me for not staying up to date on, on my theater journal. Theater journaling is important, kids. But the time we did go, um, we saw Beth Lavelle, and she was fabulous. She played Donna. She was wonderful. And I love Beth Lavelle. I'd seen her previously in The Drowsy Chaperone. As the drowsy chaperone. So to see her in this was wonderful. Um, and of course, this is back when you could still stage door. So we stage doored. Um, and we saw her and she signed her program. Now, if you, I don't know if this will trigger your memory. This is back when I was scheduling every minute of our time back to back to back to back to back. And so we saw the matinee of this, but then we had to hurry to the airport. Yes, I remember. Okay, so we stage doored, met them, ran right you know, next door to the hotel, got her bags, hustled out to the airport. Okay, good talk. But yeah, so Beth Lavelle, amazing. Now here's the fun part. We met an actor who played one of the dads. His name is David McDonald. And at the time it was like, cool, we met one of the dads. But flash forward seven years, mm -hmm. eight years, eight, eight years, nine years, nine years, 2018. Yeah. Do, working at Pioneer Theater as a lead dresser. We're doing Twelfth Night. And I'm in one of the smartest dressing rooms I've ever been in. I'm in a room with a man named Richard Waits, A.K. Murtada, and David McDonald. Seriously, the, the discussions these guys would have, some of the most intelligent discussions I've ever heard. I felt honored to be in that room with them. And these gentlemen, I'm still friends with them, and they're 
fabulous. Mm-hmm. They really are. I love supporting them whenever they're in shows. I love seeing what they're doing with their life. They're amazing. But, um, yeah, one day David was talking, Mr. McDonald, <laughs> and um, he mentioned he was in Mamma Mia with Beth Laval. And I just thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And he saw, like, this perplexing look. He's like, is something wrong? I said, no, I just... I think I might have seen you in that production. He goes, really? And I just get on my Facebook and I start looking through because I'd get pictures with anyone and everyone. Sure enough, there's me and David McDonald. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we totally met back then. He goes, that's incredible, you know. So I love that full circle, <laughs> you know. And he is, he's such a wonderful actor and a really great human. And that was a cool experience for me. So I'm glad we got to see the show. And... It was. It was fun. And I liked referring it to people would be like, look, if you've never seen a show on Broadway, this is just a good fun time. Go oh, yeah. have fun. This isn't going to be one I of mean, those it really was... challenging shows for you. This is just going to be fun. And you should just go experience this and have fun. Right. Definitely. It used to be, you know, go see Mamma Mia or Phantom instead of go see Wicked or Phantom. Yeah. And I, run, I ran this show at Pioneer Theater back in 2018. And I got to be the dresser for the dads and for Sky. And again, I got wonderful actors. Um, the actor that played Sky, who his name is Aiden. He's now a model and an actor. And I think he's now here in New York because I believe his other half made his debut in... Oh, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. I'm getting this wrong. I think Aiden went in on Girl from the North Country. Memory serves me right. And his other half is a Mrs. Doubtfire. Or flip that around. I'm going to have to double check. But... He's in New York. And then the three dads who I had worked with, all three of them previously, were hilarious. Because they, I mean, they acted like three dads, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So while there were like little mini dramas everywhere else throughout, you know, with other dressers, they're like panicked about this quick change, this quick change. I'm just like, I have the best job ever because I just get dad jokes and pranks and hee-hees and ha-has. Um, uh, working again with Paul Castry, who played um, Harry, was wonderful. He's a hoot and a holler. Um, I'd love to see what he's up to. But yeah, they're just, they're, it was so much fun with these guys. And then, of course, on the other, flip the script on the other side, the two ladies playing Tanya and Rosie. Oh, my gosh. Good times. Oh my times god! Like had. it was just—it was a bunch of teenagers hanging out together. The the antics happening backstage. Seriously, you know, there's the the dramatic scene between, um, is it Sam? Sam and Donna. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we're all backstage, and you know, we when you're backstage as you know, like dressers and stuff, you kind of have the like the hee hee kitty time, right? These guys playing the other dads and Tanya and Rosie were having full on like slap and tickle moments. And I'm like, I, this isn't my job, but I'm just sitting here watching, got everything staged for the, the um, mega, mega mix. mix quick change. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I guess <laughs> this is really like a stage management thing, but dramatic thing happening on stage. And they're just like volleyballing in the back. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> The what, theater. Whatever. <laughs> so, anyway. With the new year upon us and us returning to the theater, we look forward to seeing the show again. I'm sure you'll be able to catch Mamma Mia somewhere near you at a theater sometime soon. And as winter 
begins to turn to spring and the cold frost begins to thaw around the Great White Way, we would like to remind our listeners that Broadway is indeed open. We'd also like to point out that many new shows will start previews soon, but a few have officially opened. We would like to wish a very happy opening night to the cast and crew of The Music Man, which opens tonight, February 10th, at the Winter Garden Theater. And a special congratulations to my wife, Hope, who is working on that show. This is her first Broadway opening, so congratulations. Also, in celebration of Black History Month, be sure to check out our social media every Wednesday and Friday. There we will be posting information about a different influential black theater artist who has helped to change and shape the theater world as we know it. Please join us in celebrating and shining a light onto the diversity that makes our community so unique and so beautiful. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, Loyalty Freak Music, Music for Wildlife, and Billy Murray. Oh, yeah.